Good morning, good morning. morning. How you doing this morning? Uh, As was, as my brother Gabe said, I bring you greetings from Epiphany Fellowship uh, Church down in Philly. Um, It is doing my heart good this morning to be with you and to, uh, to see Epiphany Brooklyn just alive, like people here worshiping God. Uh, in the city of Brooklyn, so I'm 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 extremely grateful for the opportunity to uh, to be before you uh, this morning. Uh, so I'm gonna go ahead and preach and then get on out the way, um, so y'all don't fall asleep on me. Uh, so if you would, could you stand uh, and open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 13? Exodus chapter 13. If I could tag this text this morning, it would be trusting God in a wandering season. Trusting God in a wandering season. Let's pray. Dear Lord, we are so thankful that you are a God who does not sit at the end of eternity and is not involved in the lives of his people. We are thankful that you know us intimately, that you know us carefully, and you, you know everything about us. And God, we admit that there are often times in our lives where we are unsure that you're working. We are unsure that you're with us. But Father, I pray that your word today would be an encouragement for our souls that lets us know that our God will never leave us or forsake us, that he's constantly there. He knows everything that's going on in our lives. There is nothing that slips by him unnoticed. And so God, we pray for an encouraging word this morning that we might know beyond a shadow of a doubt that even the things that are unseen for us are seen by you. And so we pray uh, that this word would be an encouragement for us, that it might uh, edify us and glorify you. In Christ's name we pray. All of God's people said amen. 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 You may be seated. As uh, as Gabe shared, I have have three children. I have two girls uh, and a boy. Um, and you know, there's something about this generation of kids where they like they they want your attention at all the time. Like when I was a little kid, my parents didn't play with me. Like they sent me outside. Like I had other siblings. Like I don't even remember ever asking my parents to play with me. Uh, but my kids, every once in a while, you know, I'll be at home and they're always asking me to play. But every, every once in a while, there's a particular moment where they're in a different part of the house. And they come up real excited, and they're like, Daddy, I really want to show you something. Um, But it's not just like I want to show you something in a regular way. It's a special way because they want me to close my eyes so they can lead me to the other part of the house to show me whatever it is that they did. And if you have little kids, you know they all want want to show you everything because they need that affirmation. They want to hear, I did a great job, that you're Mozart or Beethoven or, you know, everybody's kid is special, right? And... uh, I'm not even going to go on a tangent there, but, but, but I, as much as I love my kids, I hate those moments when they want to show me something in a different part of the house and they ask me to close my eyes so that they can lead me there, right? And the reason that I hate it so much is because they are terrible giving verbal commands. Like they, they never tell me which direction to go. Like they barely know right from left as it is. So they let me walk into walls, stub my toe on stuff, like, like step on toys, and sometimes they'll just leave my hand. And I'm like, where am I supposed to go? I don't even know where you're leading me, right? But these moments are a lot like life with God. 
Because even when you're unsure about the direction you're supposed to go in and scared of what the unknown holds, the only thing that you have to hold on to is trusting the character of the one that's leading you. See, with my kids, I don't trust their character. (laughs) But with God, when we're unsure about which way life is taking us, when we're unsure about the dark corners and the unknowns, the question on the table is, do you trust the character of the one who's leading you? And so we find ourselves here in Exodus chapter 13. uh, And before we even can get to what's happening right here in this passage, a number of things have happened. If you have been reading your Bible at all, you would know that at the end of Genesis, Joseph and his family find themselves in Egypt and they're growing and expanding as a people. But in chapter one of Exodus, the new Pharaoh who was there, years have passed and he's forgotten who Joseph was. Joseph and his family are not important to Pharaoh. And so he begins to think to himself, man, these people outnumber us. And if we go to war with an enemy, they're going to take the side of the enemy and we're going to be over. So he decides to make slaves out of them. So in chapter one, we see that God's people, the Israelites, are oppressed and they begin calling out to God. So chapter two, we see this birth of this Moses who's now introduced to the story and Moses gets introduced. And we don't think anything special about Moses because initially Pharaoh's going around and killing all of the infant boys and he happens to get away and gets adopted into uh, Pharaoh's house, which is an ironic story. He gets raised in Pharaoh's home. One day he sees a, a Jew, one of his own people being beaten and he kills one of the guards and flees to Midian. And then in chapter four, uh, chapter three, God calls Moses uh, and says, I want you to go back to Egypt and, 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 and be a part of this redemptive plan I have to free my people from this oppressed nature and this bondage and this control. Chapter four, Moses returns to Egypt doing these miraculous things with this staff and this God who's on his side. Chapter five, Pharaoh's like, well, look, if y'all people got so much time to go out into the wilderness and worship this so-called God, I can give you more work to do. And so Pharaoh makes their task heavier. God in chapter six has to come back to the Israelites who have lost hope by now and says, listen, I'm going to give you this promise of redemption. I'm going to give you my word and my bond that I will deliver you. And I'm going to come through on what I told you. Forget about anything you've heard about these other gods. I am the Lord. I will be your God. You will be my people and I will deliver you. And then chapter seven through 12, we see the plagues. God showing off his power and, 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 and getting at Egypt and letting them know, I know that you worship all of these diff- different gods, but I'm the God above all gods. And so G- uh, uh, God goes about uh, showing off powerfully to the Israelites as well as the Egyptians who he is. And then by the time that last plague hits where death enters Pharaoh's door, the Egyptians have had enough. And they're like, you got to go. You got to get out of here. But it's not like when you're young and you get kicked out of your mom's house. Like I remember being in high school and getting kicked out of my mom's house. And she didn't even send me with my stuff. Because technically when you live in your parents' house, it's their stuff. You ever heard that? That's not your stuff. That's my stuff because it's in my house, right? When I got kicked out, I didn't get kicked out with nothing but what I was wearing. Which she told me I was gracious enough to have that, right? (laughs) But if you check, if you look at what happens here, Pharaoh kicks them out. And the Egyptians want them gone, and they give them everything that's valuable to them. They give them clothes. They give them jewelry. I mean, it was so bad that this people that was a slave that they were trying to hold on to, God has done such a work breaking and crippling 
the Egyptians, that they send them out and kick them out and give them everything. And so now this people is out preparing to go into the wilderness. And this is what it says. When the Lord brings you, or sorry, when Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near. The first thing that I want you to know is in verse 17, it starts off by saying, Pharaoh let the people go. Now, what's interesting about that is earlier in chapter 13, between verses 3 and 16, on four different occasions, it says, God says, by the strong hand of the Lord, you have been brought out of Egypt. That's interesting to me. Why would chapter 13 on numerous occasions say that by a strong hand you have been brought out, and then verse 17 say, when Pharaoh let you go. See, it's interesting to know that even though Pharaoh was in charge, he wasn't really in charge. See, it was, it was, Pharaoh, it was God who hardens Pharaoh's heart to keep him from letting the people go in the first place. And so when God got ready for Pharaoh to release his people, he said, okay, Pharaoh, you can let him go. And Pharaoh thought he was doing something by letting him go. Listen to me. Don't give credit to a passive participant when God's hand is at work. Pharaoh was but a passive participant, and God was behind it. This is is important because it brings me to my first point. God's leading is personal. God's leading is personal. Notice it says, God did not lead them by way of the land of the Philistine. In verse 18, it'll say that God led them. The important thing to know about this is that God was the one doing the leading. God himself was doing the leading. Moses was not leading the people. The people were not leading themselves. The first thing that you need to know about when God takes you into these seasons of wandering and these seasons of unknown is that God is the one personally leading you. God wasn't leading them from heaven. God was leading them in their midst. He had come down in the form of a cloud and was personally leading them. You've got to remember that when you're in the, when you're in the, the first thing we begin to do when we face some difficulty is feel like God's not there. That's the first thing that we do to, to, to allow ourselves to believe the lie that we don't have to obey God's word fully or that we don't have to have faith. But, but it's important to remember that no matter what's going on in your life, there is a real reality that God is personally there with you. God's leading is personal. See, Redemption for slavery was to be the beginning of Israel's new relationship with God. Remember, he was still introducing himself to them. When when Moses went back to Egypt and began to engage this people, this was the first they had heard about this God who had made these promises of redemption and these promises to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And so God now is having to build relationship with this people. All they've known is, is Egypt. All they've known is the Egyptian gods. And so now God has to do something very unique where he takes this people for the first time in history. He takes a community of people and begins to reveal who he really is, right? God's leading is purposeful. The point of God doing that was he was trying to do something very key. He was trying to transform that group of people into being the type of people that he wanted them to be, right? Listen to what this says. 
in, uh, in, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 2. It says, And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you, know, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you could keep his commandments or not. See, the reality is God wanted to get these people alone in the wilderness because they were too distracted. In Leviticus chapter 18, as they're getting the law, God tells them very, something very specific. He says, the type of people I want you to be, you can't be, you can't take what you learned in Egypt with you. And then he says, when you get to Canaan, they're doing the same things the Egyptians are doing, so you can't take what you're going to see in Canaan. So there's this wilderness period between Egypt and Canaan where I have to, in, in some ways, detox you from the culture. See, some of us sometimes are so distracted and so influenced by the culture and the world and entertainment that God uses these wandering wilderness seasons to get us alone so we can hear from him. That's what he was trying to do. He wanted to transform this people to look like he wanted them to look. He wanted them to, he wanted to exercise their faith and strengthen their faith by getting them all alone. Verse 17, look, it says, it says, now after that, after Pharaoh let them go, God did not lead them by the land of the way of the Philistines. Now that way of the Philistines, if you look at a map, is the most direct route from Egypt to Canaan. It's the most direct route. Should have took them only a few weeks once they left Egypt to get to Canaan. But it says for some strange reason, God didn't want to take them the shortest route, the easiest route, but he took them the long way around. See, he knew, well, let's read the next verse. It'll give some explanation, some context. God didn't lead them by the way of the Philistines, although that was near. That was the easiest route, the, the most direct route, the, 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 the shortest route. It says, for, for God said, lest the people change their minds when they see war and returned to Egypt. You know, it's funny that God is so personal in the sense that he knew who these people were. This people had not been in war before. They hadn't seen bloodshed. Like if, if, if you've never been in war, which I haven't, I've heard violent stories of it, but it changes you. And most people aren't prepared to see that much blood and that much killing. And this people had women and children older people and younger people and had only experienced being slaves their entire lives. This whole generation, all they've known is slavery. And so God knew that the route of the, the, route of the Philistines would require them to fight in war and they were not ready. What's interesting about that is God knew the type of people that he had. He knew them intimately. So he knew what they could handle. He knew them emotionally. He knew how their emotions would get the best of them at times and, and how that would cause them to view him. He knew them what would break them. He knew their fears. He knew where they would weak. And knowing all of this about his people, God did not expose them prematurely. That's what it says. It says God purposely didn't take them the short way, the most direct way, but took them the long way around because he didn't want to expose them prematurely to something that they could not handle. See, God often shows his grace to us in that he will shield us from experiencing the full effects 
of the harsh and broken conditions around us. This is how much, this is how much God loves you. Look, look at this. This is how much God loves you. God would rather deal with your mess than let you run back into slavery. He knew what he was in for. He said, if I take them the way of the Philistines, they're going to see this war and they're going to want to run back to Egypt. They're not going to get the promise I have for them in Canaan. They're going to be so afraid that they don't trust me anymore, that they're going to run. They're going to feel more comfortable in slavery. And so God was willing. God knew what he was getting himself into with this people. This 40 years in the wilderness, this wandering, he knew what type of people he had. How many times when you're going through something and and God doesn't seem to be answering you or things don't seem to be quite going the way you want them to go, do you begin complaining about God not being there for you or God not loving you? See, sometimes God wants you to take you the long way around, the more difficult way around in our minds because he's trying to keep you from some things. But we're so busy complaining because we can't get there quickly. Not only is God's leading personal, but God's leading is purposeful. Look what it says. It says, but God led the people around by the way of the wilderness toward the Red Sea. The the Israelite people were supposed to be a holy people, which means that they were uh, to be wholly set apart in every way for God's use. This nation was to be set apart not only in their lives, but also in their service to God. Through them and their witness, all the families of the earth were to receive the blessing God had in store for all who believed. And so God used the wilderness, and God uses those wilderness, that, that, that 40 years, what should have only taken a couple, of, a couple of weeks, God turns into 40 years because he wanted to do very, something very specific with this people. Again, we talk about this wilderness, those wilderness seasons, those seasons of unknown or difficulty or, or being led by God where you're not sure quite what to do or where you're going. See, those are very unique experiences that God uses to grow us, right? And so God reveals significant lessons in Israel's journey through the wilderness that I really think we can learn from. And the first one is this. God's leading is purposeful because he is prioritized with what we will become. God's leading is purposeful because he is prioritized with what we will become. See, it's, it's interesting that they begin this journey and they get down to Mount Sinai and then God stops this group. And they're there for almost a year before they start moving again. And then after they start moving, it takes them another 39 years to get to where they wanted to go. And during that time, Man, the, the people of Israel complained so bad. They complained, about, they complained about their lack of meat. They complained about how difficult it was to sleep out in the wilderness, being stuck in the desert. They complained about Moses' leadership, their lack of water. They complained about a whole lot of stuff. And, and, and if I was there, I'd probably be complaining too. Because the first thing that goes through my mind when I want God to do something is what's taking so long. God, I believe you. I, I read something in, in, in the Bible and that's like, okay, man, the Lord just spoke to me in this word. I'm feeling good. 
get a, get, a, get a good prayer service by myself, get in my little prayer closet, going in before the Lord. I'm telling everybody about what God is doing and what he's going to do and what he's promised. And next thing you know, a, a day goes by. And that next morning, I'm looking around like, okay, God, <laughs> Whoa, what's happening? So I keep praying. I'm like, all right, maybe, maybe I didn't pray it the right way. You know, and so I start praying again, praying again. And a week goes by and nothing's happening. A month goes by and nothing's happening. And then I begin to start thinking like, well, man, God, I, I know that this is what you want because I want it. <laughs> now, don't act like I'm the only one to think that way. Yo, don't be all sanctified on me. <laughs> See, in my mind, what I'm really thinking is, why isn't this a priority for God? Because for me, when I want something, I want to rush to get it. I'm in a rush. And it's on my mind until I get that thing. Especially if I really want it. Then I start manipulating my way to try to get it. But the reality is God is not concerned. or pri His priority is not how fast you get there. But what type of people you'll be when you get there. See, for the Israelites, they were in the wilderness for 40 years because God was trying to craft them and conform them into his image, and they just weren't getting it. They were too busy having sex orgies and building up golden calves and, and complaining about what they didn't have that they couldn't see what God was trying to create in them so that they would be prepared to take over the land that he had promised to them. They were so short-sighted. We can be so short-sighted because all we want is instant gratification. And God says, I'm not concerned necessarily with you getting that thing. I want to make sure that you look like my people. Not only that, but God's leading is purposeful because he always provides what we need. When the people of Israel was in the wilderness, God not only provided quail and, and water, overabundance and, and leaven uh, from, from heaven, the, the manna from heaven, and, uh, but if you also read, like, he, their clothes were still intact. Their shoes stayed intact. Like, they had everything that they needed, and for some reason, God, God fed them and gave them water to drink and made sure their clothes were still there and he was ever present with them hearing their prayers and 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 all of this and they for some reason thought that God was not with them see when 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 things aren't going the way that we want them to go we tend to we tend to have sort of that that horse drawn carriage syndrome if you've ever seen a horse drawn carriage they have the blinders on the horse's face right, on either side of their eyes. Why do they do that? Because they don't want the horse to get startled by cars zooming past and just run off and take off and either hurt their passengers or hurt themselves. And so horses, when they're in those carriages, have a very straight tunnel vision. They can only see what's right in front of them. And that's what happens to us when we get into difficulty. We have a tendency to only see what's happening right in front of us and forget all that God is doing outside of our, on our peripherals. Right? We forget about God's track record quick. God could have blessed you that morning 
and answered a prayer, something you've been praying about that morning. And by that afternoon, you've completely forgotten about it because you've been on to the next thing. See, God's, God, God wants us to understand that his leading is purposeful because he's, he provides for us. When God is leading us, all we have to do is remember his track record. Say, God, I know I can't see it right now. I know it's harder than I thought it would be right now. But again, I trust the character of the one who's leading me. And I know that you've provided in the past. I like that, that Ty Trevor song. If he did it before, he will do it again. But not only is his leading purposeful because he provides for us, but God's leading is purposeful because he wants us to prefer his presence over anything. In chapter 17, a few chapters after this, the Israelites tested the Lord saying, is the Lord among us or not? See, Moses had gone up to the mountain to meet with God, and the Israelites were at the bottom of the mountain, and it was taking Moses too long. You know, they sent Moses up there like, okay, like he's going to hear from the Lord. And Moses hadn't come back in a while. And because the people of Israel got impatient and weren't getting what they wanted, they started to say, well, man, maybe God ain't really here. Maybe, maybe God ain't with us after all, right? Here's their problem. They were so concerned about just getting to the promised land, to the land of milk and honey, to, to, to what God had promised them, to conquering the land and moving these people out. They were so concerned about the promise that in their hearts, it, it came out in their actions that they, they wanted their comfort more than they wanted God. Yeah. See, that, that happens to us sometimes where, where we'll choose our comforts over God. Matter of fact, they even wanted to go back to Egypt again because Egypt was more comfortable for them. Sometimes we've lived in dysfunction for so long that our dysfunction becomes normal. And we prefer our discomfort and our dysfunction and our bondage more than we'll... F See, these people had never experienced freedom. All they knew was slavery. All they knew was bondage. All they knew was subjection. They didn't even know how to live for themselves because that's all they knew. And for them, bondage was comfortable. But then they got this promise of the power, the, the promised land. And so now it's like, okay, well, we get to be free and comfortable. And so for them, following God became more about what he could do for them to make them comfortable than merely just about his presence being with them. Look at what Moses says. Moses has this intimate conversation with God in Exodus chapter 33. And he says, it says, the Lord replied, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. See, that, that should be the posture of our hearts. Moses is, saying, Moses is saying, I don't care where you send me. I don't care where I have to go. I don't care what my life looks like right now. I don't want to go anywhere, quote unquote, better than this if you're not there. Because anywhere with you is better than anywhere else without you. That's what he was saying to God. See, God's presence doesn't always mean superficial comfort getting what we want, feeling strong and successful. God's presence can mean waiting, bearing hard times with grace. 
See, our covenant with God reflects much of the wedding vows that we call upon when we do weddings, the for better or for worse, in plenty and in want, in sickness and in health. When, if God is with you, is that enough for you to be satisfied? But not only does God want us to desire his presence, God's leading is purposeful in that he doesn't want us to fear entering the destination he is taking us to. It's interesting, in Numbers chapter 13, uh, Moses sends a, a few guys up to scout out the land. And they go to scout out the land. Uh, and this is what it says. I'll, I'll just read it for you. It says, then Caleb, silenced by the people. or No, they scout out the land and they come back with a report. And this is what it says. Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, we should go up and take possession of the land for we can certainly do it. Now, you've got to remember, Caleb was one of the only ones who said, we can go into the land. Everybody else said, no, we can't go in. We can't, like, the land's not for us. There are people there. They're bigger than us. They're stronger than us. We're going to die. Let's not do it. Caleb comes back and says, we need to go take this land. We can do it. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people. They are stronger than we are. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same to them. Notice what that says. It says... We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, but we looked the same to them, right? These people had been slaves all their lives, and they couldn't break out of that rut of inferiority and fear. And if they saw themselves as small and worthless, then, of course, everyone else was going to see them that way. And so many times... For the believer, we've been in our own personal Egypts for so long that when God actually brings us to where he wants us to be, we're too afraid to enter in. We've been so damaged and so broken and so beaten down by the things of this world, by our own vices, that when God offers you freedom and rest and peace and his presence, we don't even know what to do with it. Numbers 14 says this. It says, not one of them will ever see the land I promised. This is God speaking. See, God, God, God had been doing a work in them for 40 years. He had been showing himself off to them for 40 years. He had been providing for them for 40 years, had been with them for 40 years. And this people, by the time they got to the, 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 the edge of the promised land, they had shown that they still did not trust the character of this God. And this was his response. He says, not one of them will ever see the land I promised. But because of my servant, Caleb, has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to. And his descendants will inherit it. See, the important thing to remember about that is God is looking for people who obey him with their whole hearts. He, God doesn't let them use their time in Egypt as an excuse. God doesn't let them use their brokenness as an excuse. God doesn't let them use their pain as an excuse. He says, when I've called you to obedience, when I've called you to intimacy with me, you have a choice. 
You can either be Caleb and Joshua who were obedient to God wholeheartedly, who trusted God, who trusted his character and were willing to follow him no matter where he went, or you can be the other 10 who were so enslaved by their own personal inferiority complex that their brokenness didn't allow them to see God for who he was. See, God's not going to force you to follow him. God never forces us to follow him. God, God frees us and gives us opportunities to respond by faith and in obedience. And he wants us to make the choice. Will we follow him even when we can't see the ending? When we follow him when we're afraid of what's around that dark corner? When it takes us a little too long to get what we think we should have had already, will we continue to follow him and trust his character? See, those wilderness seasons were a critical part of the formation of those who emerged. When we look at the, the, the Bible heroes, uh, almost all of them experienced a season of wandering. Moses was in the wilderness with the people of Israel for 40 years, having to lead a complaining people over and over again. David, fleeing from Saul for years on end, fleeing for his life, hiding in deserts and in caves, and then having to flee from his own son, Absalom. Multiple times, Joseph, years in prison on, 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 for a charge he didn't commit by himself. Elijah fleeing from Jezebel and Ahab to the point of, of, of bitter depression and suicidal thoughts. And then last but not least, Jesus tempted in the wilderness. The Bible says he was led out by the Spirit of God into the wilderness to be tempted. And, and Hebrews 5 says that although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. If the God of heaven and earth has to experience trusting God in, in wilderness and wandering seasons, and he has to be proved to have obedience, then why don't we? See, in, in every case especially in the lives of these men, but even in ours. In every case, there is a deep internal work that it's forged in those wilderness times because you're isolated and all you have is God. All you have is time to spend crying out to the Lord, seeking his face, in times of facing doubts and settling one's deepest identity and calling. But the question that we have to ask ourselves is not how soon we can get out of those wilderness draw, journeyings, but what type of people will be when we get out of there? That's the ultimate question. Oftentimes when we get into those seasons, it's like, it's like you know, I'm a fixer. So the minute I see something wrong, I'm trying to fix it, right? And so for me, if I see something wrong in my life in those situations, I'm like, okay, what do I do to fix this to get out of this situation? Because when bad things happen, I, that means I'm not supposed to be here. Because if we're all honest with ourselves, we all got a little prosperity gospel in us. You know, we talk bad about those guys, but, but, but we know that that's how we feel. When bad things happen, well, Lord, why is this happening to me? I've been going to church all the time. I've been faithfully serving. I've been tithing. Why am I sick? I've been, I've been stewarding my body well. We, ask, we can't act like we don't ask those types of questions. All of us are looking for an escape from those wandering journeys. But if I can give you any reminder today, it's this. Don't rush that process of what God is trying to make you become when you're in those seasons of wandering. 
because he is very, very purposeful. You know, as my daughters are leading me through the house and I finally get to where they want me to go, they'll show me whatever it is that they're working on. And they're so excited to show me all the time that it took or, or not that much time to put whatever it is together that they want me to see. And man, I t- there's nothing greater for them than showing me what they've worked on in that moment. The joy on their face, the smile on their faces and seeing their excitement. I can't help but be excited about it too. And the beautiful thing is that once I'm where they actually wanted me to be looking at what they made and wanted to show me, I'm no longer even thinking about what it took for me to get there. I'm not thinking about bumping into the corners. I'm not thinking about stepping on toys. All I'm doing is sharing in the joy that they're allowing me into based on what they created. See, that's what those wilderness journeys are like. If you're obedient and faithful, trusting the Lord, when you get there, you don't even remember everything that it took to get you there. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that you are a God uh, who is concerned about our good, but even more than our good, you're concerned about your glory. We are thankful, Lord, that even in the midst of these unknown wanderings and journeyings, we have trust in you because we can say beyond a shadow of a doubt that you're with us. Even in those moments when we don't feel like your presence is near, I pray we would fight to remember and believe that you are with us, that you don't abandon us, that you, we can't compare you to those other relationships that we've had with people who have left us by the way, who have forsaken us and abandoned us and have done us wrong. You, you are always with us. And God, I pray that we would remember that. I pray that we would remember that even in those times of leading, that that leading is not pointless, but it's purposeful. There's a reason why you take us through every season of life that you do. And God, I pray that we would be reminded to try to make the most of those times by growing in character and being conformed into the image of your son so that when we finally get to where you want us to be, we can be prepared for all the work that you have for us. Encourage us today by your word and by your presence. In Christ's name we pray, amen.